That's uh, what's happening there. Do we have any text messages here? No, I, I don't have any text. Oh, I do have text messages. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, on the meaning of names. That's right. Uh, notice you're talking about what names mean. My first name, David, means beloved. My second name, William, means protector. And my surname, Edgar, means prosperity. So David, William, Edgar uh, simply means beloved protector of prosperity. That's really So hopefully cool. this person is the beloved protector of the prosperity of their family. Amen. <laughs> That's a really cool name. Do you know what your name means? My name, Renee, means yes. reborn. And your last name? My name, uh, my last name, it means the sea, the first part of my last name, and then the ocean, the sea and the ocean. Ah, oh, the sea and the ocean. I love the sea and the ocean. Actually, sorry, let me correct that. It is the sea and the ocean. Sorry. Yeah, it, it is the sea and the ocean. So I don't, yeah, I don't know, but yeah. Well, there you go. Oh, sorry. And my second name. Oh, second name. Yep, can yep. I share? Yes. It's Samoan. It's Lo Faleali. It means the daughter of the chief. Is your dad a chief? Nope. <laughs> oh, but you got the name for but it. I got it you got the name. You got the title. It doesn't technically mean the daughter of chief. Actually, it means two house, which means a two story house. And in Samoa, like usually people live in in the in the the fales, the houses, the one the the huts in yes. a sense. And so that's what pe- most people live in. But if you were a chief, you had a two story house because you lived on the. First story, and your family, your daughter, your wife lived on the second story. So there you go. That is so cool. That (laughs) is so cool. If you know what the meaning of your name is, if you've got a cool name with a cool meaning, um, see if you can see if you can rival what uh, Renee came up with. That's (laughs) that's just epic. Um, But send it through. You know our numbers one eight hundred three two four eight four three, or text us on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. My name Lyle. Yes, is French. And it comes from Lee Isle, which means the isle or the island Mm. or a small island. Now, what's interesting is the other version of it, Kyle. Right, So you've got Lyle and you've got Kyle. Now, Kyle is a Gaelic word that means a channel of water. Okay. Between the mainland and the island. Yes. So Kyle creates the isle. <laughs> That's cool. So Kyle creates Lyle, something like that. If you got a channel of water, then you're going to have an island. And uh, yeah, so that's what my first name means. My second name, no idea. Um, my last name, Southwell. Yes. Um, that name has one of two meanings. Um, it's British, so literally the well that was in the south of well, where we don't know because uh, south is the island. <laughs> well, there are there is a, a Southwell family in that has its origins in the south of England. I'm not related to them. Uh, my ancestors come from up around Nottingham. Oh, so yeah, Robin Hood sort of area. Um, <laughs> and so they think that there was a well somewhere in the south of some region that was there, but it could also be South Welsh. Oh, okay. So that's another theory. You have options. <laughs> We've got options. We've got options. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, it was interesting because the family history always said that we came from around the Nottingham area. And when I got my DNA de- done, I was yep. like, yep, right here. That's yep. where you come from, Nottingham. <laughs> uh, when I was speaking at a youth congress over there one time, we were staying at a accommodation in one of the local universities and I stayed in Southwell Hall. Oh, look I'm at like, that. Your hall. I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, what does your name mean? Let's, let's, let's have a bit of a share this morning and... Uh, what can we learn from it? Okay, let's go back to the story of Noah. Let's get into our Bible study. And we're going to read Genesis chapter 7 and verse 23. Genesis 7 and verse 23. Okay. We were actually talking about this 
recently with Dr. Don Batten from uh, Creation Ministries International. Okay, Genesis 7 and verse 23. God wiped out every living thing on the earth, people, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and birds of the sky. All were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those are with him in the boat. Okay, so how many survived? Only eight. Only eight. Yes. And they were the ones in the boat. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Dom Batten, and I'm just going to um, repeat, you know, what he shared with us because it was so interesting and so fascinating. Uh, he did an interview with a uh, work experience girl that we had here, Janae, and uh, he was showing evidence where they've, you know, they can look at the diversity of DNA that there is in the world. And so they can look at the difference between, say, your DNA and my DNA, and they can trace that back. And the further they get back, the less difference there is. And so then they can, they can create a projection based on that. Yeah. And that projection will take you back to one individual male and one individual female, hmm. right? Yes. So that's interesting. And scientists call it the, the genetic um, Adam and Eve. Now, the scientists, of course, um, have a problem or the, the, uh, the agnostic or atheistic scientists and so forth have a problem because uh, the genetic Adam lived 4,000 years ago, whereas the genetic Eve lived 6,000 years ago. Mm, okay, what's happening here? Okay, so watch this. If you factor in the flood, right? Yes. Male DNA all bottlenecks through Noah. Yes, okay, yeah. Okay, because Noah and his sons... Yeah. Okay, every living person is going to come from Noah's DNA. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't just Noah and his sons, it was Noah's wife, so there's a bottleneck there, but his son's wives, they they don't have, they have different DNA. They're not his. That's right. That's right. And so that's why female DNA goes goes back 6,000 years, whereas male DNA projects back 4,000 years. 6,000 years to Eve? To Eve. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. So we don't have <laughs> a genetic or a, or a DNA uh, Adam and Eve. We have a DNA Eve and Noah. Noah. <laughs> That's, that is impressive. Wow. It's a very, very impressive research that has come out. And, yeah, one of those things that, you know, you don't hear in secular science so often. It's there. It's peer-reviewed. It is solid science. The secular scientists don't have an explanation for it. And, of course, you know, people who believe in the Bible, they kind of look at it and go, well, that's kind of obvious. That's exactly what you would expect. So, and that's exactly what has been found. Hmm. Okay. That's yeah. cool. I like it's, it. It is. That's it very is. cool. It is so cool. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So Genesis 7, verse 23, the Bible says, He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the air. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. Okay. So, uh, Renee. Yes. Isn't this incredibly cruel by God to kill, like, everyone? Yes. Except for Noah and his family? Yeah, it, it kind of, uh, I think... Isn't that, isn't that genocide? You know, we would call that genocide today. Yeah, it sounds like... What if there was a country in the world? How would we think of a, how would we think of it if there was a country in the world and we decided we didn't like that country, so we nuked the place, turned it into a big glass crater? That would be unfair. That. Think, think about the, the 
ethical discussions that have raged over the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki because they were terrorist or they were terrorist um, actions. Mm. And people say, well, did it save lives or did it cost lives? You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. But those atomic bombs, the purpose behind them was to terrify Japan into surrendering. And they weren't, you know, the greatest uh, military targets in Japan by any stretch of the imagination. But they certainly had the effect of sending Japan the signal that you can't win this. Mm. Uh, And there's just, you know, devastation coming to the entire Japanese islands Mm. if you don't surrender now. I mean, the Japanese didn't know that the Americans only had two of those bombs, um, but given time the Americans would have built more. Mm. And so, you know, you look at it and it's just sort of one of these logical insanities that is just war and sin and horror that our world lives in. And it's like, well, which decision do you make here? And it brings the question, like, do you do this for the greater good? All of those kinds of questions. It's hard questions. Because, because you can say, well, the, the bombing of Japan saved millions of Japanese lives, millions of American lives, millions of Chinese lives and Russian lives <coughs> that would have been lost if the war had continued for another, you know, one, two, three, four, five years. And it was just cut short. Short, fast, and plain. You can argue that, and you can build a very good argument around that. You can also argue that it was just plain straight out an act of terrorism, and no one can deny that. Y- yes. So isn't isn't God doing the same thing here? I mean, just like basically nukes the whole world, except he does it with water? It appears so, I would say. It does, doesn't it? It appears so. Why would God do such a thing, do you think? Why would God... Commit genocide. Commit genocide. Well, I would, first thoughts would be, I assume the people were that bad. Yes. I would, I would assume that society was was perhaps worse than we are right now then. Because I would say so, if because we're we still are still around, here. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, if God had to step in. Hmm, it, it was significantly worse than now. Yes. And society now is not great. You know, we have incredible high levels of suicide, for instance, and that happens because people are so desperate they're just like, I want out. Yeah. Let's read about it in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Genesis 6 and verse 5. If you could read that one for us, please. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Okay, let's think about that consistently and only. Uh, was there any good things in the world then? Let me read it from my translation. It says, uh, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So every only continually. Was there any good outside of Noah and his family in the world? I don't think so. The Bible says there wasn't. There wasn't. And we can look, and this is the difference we can see between our world and that world, because we can look at our world today and we can see a fair chunk of good out there. Yes. Didn't exist back then. Now you imagine, you look at how bad our world is right now, 
and there's still a fair chunk of good out there. Imagine what the world was like. Imagine what it was like to live in a world where there was no good, Hmm. zero, none whatsoever. That would have been a really nasty place to live. That's not the kind of place that anyone would want to live. Hmm. Now, the Bible says that every good and perfect thing comes from God. All happiness, all good things come from God. The reason that uh, wicked people do good things is because of the influence of the Holy Spirit on their heart. But what happens when the Holy Spirit can no longer exert any influence at all? What happens then? Is there any good that a person can ever experience ever again? There isn't. So imagine this. In our world today, we have you know lots of people who um, don't believe in God, and they don't necessarily you know keep the commandments by any stretch of the imagination, which says you know thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, you know etc etc. Thou shalt not covet. Uh, they certainly don't keep the commandments, but they live a relatively decent life. Why? Because of the influence of the Holy Spirit on their heart. Imagine a world where the average person that didn't believe in God had no influence of the Holy Spirit and only lived an evil life. It would be a horrific existence for them as it would be for everybody around them. Mm. It'd just be it'd just be a horror, a horror mess mm. to live in. It would be like living in a horror movie. Yeah. Anybody want that? Nobody wants that. Okay, so now let's let's use an object lesson to explain and to help us to understand what God is doing here because a lot of people look at this and go, this is, this is genocide on God's part. I'm gonna, I'm gonna argue this. This was an act of love on God's part. Flooding the world was an act of love, and and Renee's looking at me very skeptically right because, now. Because because you just spoke about genocide, and then you went like, "Yes, it seems cra- it's crazy, it's crazy," and then you're like, "That's love," and I'm like, "What?" Yes, yes. I need. Okay, <laughs> bear with me. Okay, so let me give you an illustration. Do you have a pet? No, but when I was little, yes. Okay, what did you have? I had a bird. You had a bird, yeah. Yeah. Nice. I had a dog. You had a dog. Had a fish. Uh huh. Yeah. What happened to your dog? Ran away. Ran away. What happened to your... What else did you have? A bird? Bird, yeah. Uh-huh. And what else? A fish? Yep. A cat? Yep. What happened to the cat? G- gave it away. I gave it away. It's kind of hard though, isn't it? When yeah. they, when they When they die or disappear or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, have you ever had to have a pet put down? No, but I've had a, a, my pets die because yeah. like a bird killed it. Yeah, that's it's kind of awful. Um, I think most of our listeners today, if you're a listener today, you can probably relate to this. And, and, uh, I think you can probably relate to this. If, if you've had a pet that you've had to put down, when you take the life of that animal, you take it down to the vet, it gets its lethal injection. Do you do that because you hate the animal? No, you do it because they're in pain. Because you love the animal, yeah. right? Yeah. Why did God destroy the antediluvian world? Because he hated them or because he loved them? If he hated them, he'd let them continue. Exactly. But he loved them. Exactly. And that's why, uh, you know, we've got this um, text message that's come through that states that the people of the antediluvian world were totally demon-possessed. 
as will be the last generation uh, who reject God just before Jesus comes back. It's the same. That's but, but though is that actually true? Like demon possessed? That makes me kind depends of depends how like, you define demon possession. Well, okay, we're not talking about the crazy, like you know, the over exaggerated. Not necessarily. You don't have to be, you know, the crazy, over exaggerated person to be demon possessed. You can you can just be an evil person that has no influence of the Holy Spirit whatsoever on your life whatsoever at all, and. If there's no influence of the Holy Spirit, then, then there's only influence of demons. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So different kind of, you know, different way of defining it, but wow. essentially the same kind of thing. Yeah. And this is why I say the flood was an act of God. Okay. So we've got Bruce joining us on the phone this morning. Uh, Bruce called in to share a comment. Bruce, welcome to the show. What uh, would you like yeah. to share this morning? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> talking, talking about the antediluvian and um, maybe the close of probation, that, that they had the Garden of Eden and those angels standing at the gate right up until the flood. Hmm. And so they were rejecting, you know, there was, from the beginning, they knew that Adam and Eve sinned, and that's why they were in this predicament, you know. So they were really rejecting. There was no, um, oh, we didn't know about or anything like that. So they're actually rejecting the Holy Spirit. They're rejecting the truth, and that's why they came to every thought and imagination was evil continually. And when you come to our day, in the long run, because I believe God's people... God, um, we're going to come to a stage, God's people, where we're just like Jesus, as they rejected Jesus at his time and their probation closed because they rejected, you know, the truth as you could see it. And you're going to see it in the last days, God's people are going to be just like Jesus, you know, and they're going to reject that truth as well. So they're rejecting God, they're rejecting the Holy Spirit, and there's no more hope for them. So and you kind of got probation three- yeah, you've kind of got three parallel uh, circumstances there that are happening yeah. when you've got uh, close of probation in Noah's day, uh, close of probation yeah. on the Jewish people in the time of Jesus, and also at the end of time where they totally reject the evidence that God has placed in yeah. front of them, irrefutable evidence that God has placed in front of them. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. True. Okay, a couple of uh, messages have come through. That's right. Um, we had a listener texting. Her name is Karen. She texted and she to let us know that her first and middle name means sweet and sour. I love it, sweet and sour. <laughs> you know, sweet and sour are two things that go hand, hand in hand really, really well. I really love well. Sweet, and, sweet and sour food. Okay. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> okay, so well done, Karen. So thank you. So, um, yes, let's go. Okay, so getting back to our Bible study, and we were talked earlier about this. This um, research in DNA mm-hmm. that gives us the genetic Eve and the genetic Noah, not Adam and Eve, but Noah and Eve, which is so interesting. But what it does demonstrate is a very, very small number of survivors. And this is a theme, a motif that you'll actually find throughout the Bible. So uh, let's look at where it pops up in a couple of different places. First of all, Genesis chapter 45 and verse 7. Genesis 45 and verse 7. Yes, and it says in verse 7, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to uh, preserve many survivors. Okay, so the Bible here speaks about uh, preserving a remnant on the earth um, in the King James Version and to keep 
us to keep uh, you know, Jacob in this case alive for many survivors. And so you've got uh, this concept of a remnant coming through here, preserving the word of God, preserving the knowledge of God, and thus preserving the world itself. Because if the knowledge of God vanishes from the earth, there's no point for the earth to continue any longer. Hmm. Let's go to Isaiah and chapter 4 and verse 3. Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 3. Okay, and it says, All who remain in Zion will be a holy people. Those who survive the destruction of Jerusalem are recorded among the living. Okay, so the Bible here talks about something that you and I were talking about off air, and that is the relationship between the temple and... And the church. Hmm. And once again, you know, Zion here becomes a symbol of God's church. And it says, those who are left, the remnant who remain, who remain in Zion. You know, and you've got this interesting verse that precedes it, you know, uh, in verse one, it says, in that day, seven women will take hold of one man, saying, we will eat our own bread, wear our own clothing, only let us uh, be called by your name to take away our reproach. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, Fairly simple verse to interpret. Woman in Bible prophecy is a symbol of a church. Seven is a symbol of completeness, perfection, etc. So this is God's church. They come to one man and say, look, uh, we want to eat whatever we want to eat. We want to wear whatever we want to wear. We want to live however we want to live. Just let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. There's only one man who can take away reproach. That's Jesus Christ. And so you've got this picture here at the end of time. God's church comes to Jesus and says, look, let us be called Christians, just let us live how we want. Live however we want, just let us be called Christians so that we take away our reproach. And God's like, yeah, no, it doesn't work like that. He's like, there will be a remnant. And this comes on to talk about this remnant because this is a remnant of God's people. It's not just a remnant of the world. This is a remnant of God's people. And it says, he that is left in Zion, he that is left in God's church at the very end of time, because a lot of people will be shaken out of God's church and cease to be a part of God's church as we get near to the end of time. And uh, so it's a very interesting passage we have here in relationship to the remnant. And it's also interesting, oh, there's so many things in this. Isaiah 4, you could have a whole sermon right here. Uh, the Bible says in verse 4, When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the middle thereof by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. So we know that this is taking place during the time of the judgment. And we know this is the cleansing of God's people, the washing of God's people. It says, The Lord will then, what's he going to do? Create on every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and a smoke. By day, and a shining flaming fire by night, for upon all the glory shall be a defense. So here's, here's what you've got. God says, okay, there's going to be this small remnant that's going to survive. They're going to stay faithful and they're going to be washed pure in the blood of Jesus Christ at the end of time. They're not going to be swept away with, as the Bible depicts here, the majority of Christians is like, hey, let us be called Christian and take away our approach, but we'll live however we want. No, there's going to be some that are going to be left, and they're going to be left. They're the ones like, we'll be called Christians, but we will, we will, whatever you say, you're our Lord, you're our Savior, you gave your life for us, whatever you say, we'll just do that because we love you. No other reason. And so these are the ones that are left, and he says, like, okay, these are the ones that are going to be protected by smoke and a cloud. That's a symbol that God is drawing from the Exodus out of Egypt. Right? Now, follow me with this. 
if you go to the book of Revelation, the Bible says when probation closes at the very end of time, the temple in heaven is filled with smoke. No one's able to enter into the temple. When we talk about, you know, intercession has ceased. That smoke and the fact that it is filled with smoke, that smoke is a symbol of God's protection for his people during this time. And then it gets even better. You go to Revelation 15, watch this, watch this. Revelation 15. This will just blow your mind. The Bible speaks about those who live right at the very end of time, right? Um, the Bible says, I saw it as it was a sea of glass mingled with fire. Those that had gotten the victory over the beast, over his image, this is verse 2, over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. Nobody's gained the victory over the mark of the beast yet because it has not yet been enforced, right? So we know this is, this is the group that if they, if they gain the victory over the mark of the beast, they are living right at the end of time. These are the ones that live through the close of probation. These are the ones who are live under the protection of God that is symbolized by that smoke, mm. where Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? You following with me? Yeah. And that smoke has a parallel with the experience of Moses coming through, being led by the pillar of cloud through the Red Sea, right? Mm. They sing the song of Moses, verse 3. And the song of the Lamb. And saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true your ways, you King of Saints. That smoke has the same meaning for the last generation as it did for the people who went through the Exodus. That smoke is a symbol of God's protecting power over his remnant, those that remain at the end of time. And the song of Moses, you can read in Exodus chapter 15, is a song of deliverance. This is a group of people who sing a song of deliverance because the smoke, the cloud, has come and delivered them. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Great discussion this morning. Some good uh, interaction from some of our listeners. We had a question that came in yesterday. I made a statement yesterday and somebody wants to debate the statement with me. Ooh, nice. So let's bring it on. Okay, so this is an evolution question. Yes. And um, a question uh, Chris asks. Oh, wait, 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 we're running ahead. We've got ahead. It is now time for... Question of the day. Wow. If I, you know, that makes it legit. Yes, it's legit now. We can actually answer the question now. We couldn't answer it before, no. but we can actually answer it now. Legally, we can now. Okay, so it's a question from Chris, and he asks, didn't human ancestors need colour vision in order to spot ripe fruit while up in trees? Not at all. In fact, they didn't need vision at all. In fact, if you look at the evolutionary process, um, evolutionists will tell you that living organisms developed without vision. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Now, you think of the complexities of the eye um, and, you know, having two eyes and all this kind of, you know, the, the model that we have throughout nature, mm. and it's a pretty long stretch to say that that all came out of the Big Bang. But anyway, they will say it all came out of the Big Bang and that lots of creatures um, have uh, evolved. You know, the majority of the existence of life has been without vision. So you don't need to have vision to be a very successful species. There are very successful species in our world today that have lost their vision. So in other words, you have uh, some species of fish that live in caves and that's the only place that they are found. They live in caves 
And over years, they have lost their vision. That's the process of evolution right there. It's an observable process of evolution. Uh, and every time we observe evolution, what we find is not an increase of information, but a loss of information. There's never been an observable increase of information through evolution, but we've got lots of examples of a loss of information. This is one of them. And so there is a, a number of very, very successful species of fish that um, only live in caves where there is no light. So if you go down into a cave and turn your, your, turn your torches off... Uh, your eyes will never adjust to the darkness because there is a total absence of light. And so over time, they've lost vision and they're still very successful species. So you don't need vision at all. Uh, black and white vision would be, uh, you know, you, you can, you can, to find fruit in trees uh, and so forth and to be a very successful species, black and white vision would do just fine. But black and white, that's the extremes of the spectrum. If that's right. anything, that's more complex than colour vision. If our Ooh, eyes switched. I don't know. I'm, that's an I'm interesting guessing. statement. Because like it's it's the extremes we of the spectrum. We need an artist to tell us that. Yeah. Yeah. Is black and white actually more complex because of it's the extremes? You, you could be onto something there. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but there are plenty of people who mm. are colour blind and have black and white vision and they survive just fine. Yeah. Uh, we never struggle watching, you know, black and white TV, for instance. Um, it, uh, it's, you know, but at some particular point, evolutionists will say that, you know, uh, a dimple formed on the skin of some slug and that reflected the light and so that became some kind of an advantage and so that continued to change and change and change and change and change over time until we get this incredibly complex um, organ called the eye. We have two of them so that we can tell depth, we can see colour, we can see, you know, it's just the most amazing thing on the planet. Mm. Uh, the, the, the eye and how it actually functions. But anyway, that's uh, my thoughts on that. No, we don't need vision to be a successful species. Plenty of them that are very successful without it. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.